All right, I'm just going to share from 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, verse 6, 7, and 8. Verse 6 says this, Your glorying is not good. And of course, that refers to any of our glorying outside of Christ. Your glorying is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. That's a beautiful truth. That's who we are. We are unleavened. And the reason is, for even Christ, our Passover, he has been and is slain and sacrificed, and he's for us. Verse 8 says, Therefore, let us, those that are his, keep this feast, this truth, this feast, feeding on him constantly, not with old leaven, the old self-life, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, which is of the old, but with the unleavened bread, the unleavened of sincerity, honesty, and transparency and openness as a result of grace and truth. Now I'm going to read Colossians, the first chapter, Verse 27, it says this, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And this is true even today, which is Christ in you and and through you and with you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man. Notice that? We preach. We preach Christ warning every man and teaching every man, whosoever will, in all wisdom, that we may present every man complete, complete in Christ. Wherefore, I also labor, striving according to his working. Notice that? Striving according to his working, which works in us, when it is him, mightily. And I want to share, what I'm going to share this morning is uh, a part of a a booklet that we wanted to publish uh, well over a year ago. And that title of that booklet is is called A Must. And it's a must for every single Christian. And what it deals with there and what these scriptures that we were just reading in, in part, but really in a great way, they deal as the Bible does From Genesis to Revelations, man's complete ruin and sin. Sin nature. Again, not what he does, but man's complete ruin and sin. Yet, and thank God, God's perfect and complete remedy in Christ. That's where we are. Every one of us, we're in Christ. But do we need to be warned and and admonished, of course, and corrected lovingly? What? When this is fully and clearly known and understood, how do we function? How does each one of us function? Are we, and and we are, according to the Bible, are we Christ's servants? What is a servant? The word servant, in, in these cases, and we've shared this before, all the men of God that were truly connected to Christ by his grace and truth, they never accepted a title other than servant. Never. 
right? Because the, the, the Greek word for servant is doulos. It's D-O-U-L-O-S, doulos. And it means one whose will is swallowed up in the will of another. One who's been bought with a price in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What we need is Christ's servants. We need to have this known and taught constantly and continuously. We do. And when that's known, we can function in a proper image. We do. We function in a proper image. But we need to know, and God constantly has to teach us these things. Constantly. Every one of us, no matter where we are in our growth, no matter where we are in our capacity, he has to constantly teach us what sin is. You're not going to, a lot of places, they don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear anything about sin or about the flesh. As a matter of fact, some don't want to hear it so much that you don't even have it anymore. The false teaching of one nature is uh, one naturist. Fact of the matter is, we need constantly to be and to be refocused and reaffirmed and renewed in the truth about what sin is and what grace is. You know, so many times we think that, and we know through the scriptures that God never gives us grace to live in sin. He never does, but it is the only answer to it. Notice that? Grace. And some would think that, you know, that grace, it just takes care of sin and that's it. And what is grace? It's just something that took care of it. No, no. What, what happens is sin was so evil in his sight that it had to be grace. There was no other option for him. And there's no other option for us. There's not a single option for us at all. Especially, oh my gosh, especially in the time that we're living in. Especially in the time that we're living in. Where now, more false teaching, more superficial teaching, more suspicious teaching, and more evil teaching is just out there continually. But what we need, and we all do, we all need to know the gospel of Christ and continually to experience it. Okay, we need to experience it constantly. Now, when we talk about the gospel of Christ. We're talking about the glory of the gospel, of the grace of Jesus Christ, never separated from a cross. So that means when I function in grace and truth, I function in the reality of the cross has crucified every single thing about me. And we need to be reminded of that, all of us constantly, because that's grace. That's grace teaching us something that's already been accomplished by, by one who was the only one that could accomplish it. He did it to his father, and he did it for us on our behalf. And so the fact of the matter is, is that that gospel, that gospel, that grace that was manifested through the cross has perfectly met and dealt with man's nature, the sin nature. He's perfectly dealt with it. Again, that's why when it says in John 1 verse 29 where John the Baptist cried out in fulfillment of Isaiah 40, verse 3, as the voice that was crying in the wilderness, he cried out and said, Behold, in a loud voice, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And what that's teaching us is 
that in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, we know that the love of Christ constrains us. Boy, do you think we need that today? And, the, and look, think, the enemies we have. we have. We have the flesh, we have Satan, and the world system all coming against us. And thank God that we have the love of God through Christ that constrains us, holds us in a vice, keeps us steady. Why? Because in verse 15, because we thus judge if one died. Why did Christ die? Because all were dead. You see what that's saying when John said that? As far as God was concerned, mankind outside of Jesus Christ is spiritually dead. <laughs> spiritually dead. Because we thus judge if one died, then we're all dead. Well, why did one have to die? Because all were dead. Again, as we've taught, uh, the scriptures have, have taught all of us in Genesis 2, verse 17, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it says in dying, dying, spiritually being separated, remember, death is never extinction, in dying spiritually, being separated from God, you'll die physically. Because that's what it says in the original in Genesis 2, 17, in dying you will die. Again, the gospel of Christ, thank God, the gospel of Christ. With, and we need to have these sound, strong, forcible statements of facts constantly renewed in our mind. In Ephesians 4, verse 23. We need that constantly. Because what has met man's nature and dealt with it. You know, he, did, he didn't die for our sin nature. He condemned it and crucified it in Romans 8, verse 3. And there's the difference between the sins that Christ paid for all those who would receive him. He dealt with the sin question. Behold the Lamb of God that not took away the sins of the whole world, that dealt with the sin issue. And again, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. But for us, for us, then they which live, does it say all there? In 2 Corinthians 5.15? No. No. Were those that were apart from Christ, living in spiritual death, were they dead? Were they extinct? Or were they con continuing to live? And they were continuing to really just exist because there is no life outside of Christ. Because why? Well, because all were dead. That's why Christ had to die. So it's met man's nature. It has. So that's why we can go out now and be ambassadors. You know, we can be ambassadors, okay? We're ambassadors in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. We have that message, each one of us, in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, right? We do. We have that. And this is what it says, just to make it very clear for us. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, Verse 19, to wit, to understand that God was in Christ. Listen, reconciling the world unto himself. How? How? Because the sin issue, their nature was dealt with. And when you receive the fact that Christ was your Savior and he did condemn your old sin nature, that he actually paid for your sins personally. But did he, did he pay for the sins of the whole world? And he absolutely did not. 
but he certainly did it for us, thank God. He dealt with it. So we have this. So 2 Corinthians 5.19 is potential. We're to go out in, in obedience and to just present the gospel to, to others. You know, what's the greatest way to present the truth? What's the greatest way? It's how we conduct ourselves publicly. Because how I conduct myself pro, uh, publicly is just a result of how I behave and, and function in my character in Christ in the home. The choices that I make. You know, again, you read the Proverbs, the 16th chapter, in those first 32 verses, you want to make it, and God wants to make it very clear. Listen, we're free to make our own decisions, but the consequences are never left up to us. Never. Never. And we have time, and God's given us the opportunity to function properly because we have Christ in us and to make all those right decisions. Again, James 4.17, to him, to the individual that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is what? Sin. That's James 4.17. And in Psalm 51, verse 4, what is sin in Psalm 51, verse 4? Evil. The slightest little sin, the slightest little act of disobedience is what? Sin. And what is sin? Is it who we are? Nope. Can we function in it? Yes, we can. Now, has it met our nature? Listen, this is what is potential. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. How's he doing that? Through you and I. It's potentially for everybody. It's certainly for a few. Bible, Christ made it very clear when he said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And many, the majority go that way in, in Matthew 7 uh, verse 13. But narrow is the way. Narrow is the way that leads into life. And of course, that's through Christ. No other way. No other way in 714 of Matthew. But again, has, it, has he met our nature, our old nature? Has he met it? Yep, condemned it. Did he pay for it? No, he condemned it. What did he pay for? He paid for our sins. Whose sins? Our sins. And that's why it says in 2 Corinthians 515 that B part of the verse says that they, that's, they that live out of all those that are spiritually dead, that they that have received Christ, they that live should not live unto themselves, but unto him who died and rose again for them. Isn't that interesting? Has he dealt with our condition then? Does he constantly, through the preaching and teaching of the Lord, does he constantly have to deal with our condition? What is the difference between our position in Christ and our condition? Because one has to do with our standing. That never changes. But what about our state? What about my experience? What about my present condition? What about it? My present condition. Very interesting, isn't it, this morning? He's dealt with our condition and he's always revealing to us properly our character. Properly our character. But when these things aren't taught properly, and, and really when they're not, and when they're very little known, and less, you know, just known, proclaimed, taught, 
then what are Christians, and I'm talking about Christians, left with? That's why they have all kinds of doubts, fears, and unsettled questions. Do you have an unsettled question? Well, let me ask you this. Did Christ finish the work? Did he leave one thing undone? Is there an unsettled question? Is there a doubt or a fear? Is it? Does something trouble the conscience? Is something troubling our conscience as a Christian? Well, what, ha- what needs to be done for all of us then? Well, until the soul is led to see that the entire question of sin, notice what I said, sin, and the claims of divine holiness were all and forever settled on the cross. What, what will... What will we experience when we do experience that? I'm going to tell you honestly, experientially, do we need to continually experience the reality of it? Well, what do we have? We have sweet, quiet rest of conscience. But if I don't, and these things aren't taught, then where does that live? Where does that leave the particular individual, the Christians that are of Christ, but don't experience it and know it? You know, the only thing for us, and this is why we continue to come and hear the Word of God, the only thing that can meet the urgent cry of a troubled conscience, you know, a troubled conscience, is what? That one perfect sacrifice of Christ that was offered to God. You remember how many times we brought up in type in Genesis 22 and verse 8? You know, when in type Abraham and Isaac went up to the mountain and he was going to sacrifice his son, That is a type of what went on just between the Father and the Son. Just between the Father and the Son. And of course, Isaac asked, which is the promised child, and in type, in type Christ, and Abraham in type as the Father, was going to offer his son. He was spared. God's son was not spared because he, he was the anti-type, the fulfillment of that type. But what we see here, what God has dealt with, first and foremost, had to be dealt with in terms of himself. And that's why when Isaac asked his father, Abraham, I see the wood, I see what we need, the, the fire, where's the lamb? And what was his response? He said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. And God has done that. And these are the truths that we need to, be, to, to for all of us to constantly to know and understand this morning. And this is where we're constantly being led. Because the fact of the matter is, when my experience is not equal to, to my position in Christ, what does that mean? I haven't even begun to know my position in Christ. The foundational truths which are completely missing, unfortunately, uh, in Christianity. Or what would some would say would be Christendom. And Christendom is just nothing more than the world in infiltrating the church with all kinds of philosophies of fallen, dealing with fallen man in his fallen state and teaching him how he himself can get out of it. Which we know we can't do anything, can we? But you know... Were they all settled? Yeah. Christ was offered to God. That's propitiation. 
to God and for us as a substitute. As a substitute. And then what, what, what are we right now? What are we? Are we going to be reconciled to a proper relationship in Christ or are we already that positionally? Already that positionally. What's the one thing that can get in the way of the Christian from experiencing that? What do we have in us that we're not of? In Romans 8 verse 9, it's called the flesh. And you know the flesh, you know the flesh in us. I don't care what anyone thinks. I don't care. I know what's right to do. not going to do it. I don't care. I don't care. What a lonely, miserable experience that is. And to think that everything that Christ, who he is, and everything that he went through to give us that, that that would be our experience. Oh, boy. Thank you, Lord. What we have this a cleansed conscience in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. What do we have? We have the fact that since Christ was to God in dealing with that, the only part that we ever had in anything was our sins were put on him. That's what we contributed. <laughs> what was contributed was our sins that were put on him. And what? Dealt with, why? Because he's for us. And that's what we read. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. What does that mean? I don't have to live in the malice and wickedness of the self-opinion of the flesh. I don't have to live like a, a, like a spiritual two-year-old. I don't care. This is what I want to do. Mommy, Daddy, I know it's right, but I'm not going to do it. I'm living like a baby. A miserable, lonely baby, too, by the way. And we all grow, right? We all do, but thank God. That's not who we are, right? That's not who we are. So what do we have? I mean, we have Christ. He is our Passover. You know the type in Exodus 12, 1 through 13? He passed over because there was blood on the door. They were, they were feasting on a lamb on the inside, and, and while they were eating, and they said there were bitter herbs with it. And what kind, what is the bitterness? What takes care of the bitterness of the soul of the Christian when they feed on Christ, when they stop feeding on what they think is okay for them to feed on? Is if we don't feed on him, we're going to feed on something. And that something is something that the enemy's given us to feed on. He cannot stop us from going to heaven. He cannot touch the position, but he will come straight after that experience, right? And sooner or later, we will confess the content of our mind. A lot of times before it comes out, murmuring and disputing in Philippians 2 verse 14. You know, murmuring's under the breath. I don't care what anyone thinks. You know, I don't care what anyone thinks. This is me and my little world. Yay. Poor you, <laughs> murmuring and then disputing outwardly, outwardly. Boy, things are so much, you know, we, we talk about it. You think of the shame that used to be hidden in certain areas, right? Like certain lifestyles, now it's paraded. I mean, literal parades. 
certain lifestyles that the Bible is against, such as homosexuality and lesbianism, just as much as fornication and adultery too, by the way. We tend to make one worse than the other. And, and the fact of the matter is, you know, how many have ever thought and didn't do it years ago, they felt like shooting a cop or looting or burning constantly. Here we are in the place where we are. And thank God we're in Christ. We're not of this world. Why do we think that way? Why, do, why should we think that way? Well, because we're missing in our experience the sweet quiet rest of a conscience that's not troubled. That's why. We have a cleansed conscience. We do. We have Christ in us. And he's met it. He's met it. And so Christ is our Passover. We need to be reminded of that, don't we? Constantly. He's our Passover. Listen to this. Sacrifice. Listen to this. For us. God is not against us when he deals with behavior that's not indicative of a proper character that we have in Christ. He's not against us. He's for us. There's no question about it. He's for us in our position. Wouldn't you like to experience that reality? And in that experience, have an intimate fellowship with Christ instead of living alone with your own thoughts that don't have a thing to do with Christ or God or who you are in him who you are in him. And let me tell you, listen, it is not a nice place to be. It is a very lonely place to be. I'm going to live by myself, me, myself, and I. You know, a lot of Christians end up, and sooner or later, you're go, you, you and I, at some point, uh, in different areas of our life, we're going to end up in Romans, the seventh chapter. In Romans, the seventh chapter, I circled it in one particular Bible that I have in black, how many times that believer was talking about I, me, myself. I, me, myself. Until finally they had to be brought to a place of helplessness and hopelessness, and their cry was not, who's going to help me? Like we always, like a lot of Christians are taught they should pray. Who's going to help me? No, who will deliver me from this body of death? This body of, as a Christian, living separated from Christ, who's for me? And if we don't function that way experientially, then we're going to think everybody and everything is against us. <laughs> who's against us? Who is against us? Listen, I'm going to tell you, first and foremost, I'm going to tell you, what do you think the greatest enemy is that we have? It's the flesh. Then it's the world, then it's the enemy. Because the enemy's been, his power has been absolutely destroyed. You know, you don't even, you and I don't, do not have to sin. Some Christians, the enemy allows them and becomes the source for them in the flesh to glory in their acts of disobedience. Instead of glorying in Christ. Oh, Lord, deliver all of us, correct? I mean all of us from that. Well, there, Christ our Passover is there. There and there alone do we find a perfect answer to the claim of our conscience. Instead of living like the unsaved in Romans 2, 14 and 15, you know, our conscience saying this, this is good, this is bad, this is good, this is bad. Instead of trying to determine that, 
and a defiled conscience in Titus 1 verse 15. And you know the flesh, when we function in the flesh, do we function in a defiled conscience? But yet is our conscience cleansed by Christ in, in Hebrews 10 and verse 2. Are we perfected forever in him? In Hebrews 10 and verse 14, there is no question about it. There's no question about it. I mean, listen, in, in child growth, what if there was no discipline or correction in a child who was living in a certain way and stayed that way? What kind of a relationship would they have? Gosh, how, and what is a relationship? How to relate properly. How to relate properly. Should I relate to myself outside of Christ? Should I? Where will I do that? In my flesh. And in my flesh. Listen, there's nothing that will ever satisfy the flesh. I want a different job. I want to live in a different place. And, you know, I want this to change. I want that to change. You know, and then the prayer of a lot of Christians, oh God, change my circumstance, change my situation Change me, excuse me, he already did. You are already dead. Those that would receive him as Savior, he condemned personally their old sin nature. And then we want to pray that God will help us when we live in that that's already condemned. <laughs> God, God, humble us. <laughs> Not help us, but humble us. And he will, and he does help, by the way through humbling us to, so, that he, so that we can receive what he's already done by grace. God, how many times do we think we're in control of ourselves? We have the right to make certain decisions. Did you know that we were dead and our life is Christ? Did you know that? Does that mean we have, we have a right to make our own decisions outside of Christ? No, not at all. Not at all. To do so would be to live in disobedience right in the presence of God. And even the secret sin, those things that we don't want anyone else to know, are in the light of his countenance in Psalm 90, verse 8. See what some do, even in Ezekiel, the 8th chapter, especially those first 14, 15, and 16 verses there. Make it crystal clear. And again, listen, it's, again, we need to know. Listen, that's crucified. The old is crucified. What is the old? It's Matthew 15, 16 to 20. Not that that goes into a man defiles a man. <laughs> what they did to me made me the way I am. What they did to me made me so upset. No, they only brought out the old in you. Is that who you are? Is it? No. Read those lists. Read the list of those categories. Mark 7, 14 to 23 Matthew 15, 16 to 20, the category of those things, again, in Galatians chapter 5 and verses 19, 20, and 21, list the categories of that old that's been crucified, that sin nature. See that? Nature. Okay? And what comes out of a sin nature when we function in it? Sins, areas of separation and death. Have they already been dealt with? And what are we living in? What, what, is, what are we living experientially? A lie. Why? Because, because we come under the influence of who? Of Satan. Right? Thank God that's not who we are. Thank God that that's not as who we are. It's not. 
right? Thank God that we have a cleansed conscience. Christ is the perfect answer and has answered every single question. He has. But are we submitted enough to him to realize it in our experience? He has removed, he has removed the whole question, listen, of sin. Again, that's what John the Baptist was crying out. Behold the Lamb of God, which dealt with the sin question of the whole world. Again, it's the two lots. It's the two lots in Leviticus, the 16th chapter, in verses 1 through 7. You'll see there were two lots. One for God, one for the scapegoat. The scapegoat was Christ. That one, the sins were confessed, and each individual has to do that individually in Leviticus 1.4. Each individual. You can't do that. No one can do that for you but you and you and putting your hand with your will on Christ. Then that scapegoat was set free. The other lot was killed. That's propitiation. The other one that goes free is substitution and reconciliation. And boy, do we need to understand these things and grow in them fully. Okay? Removed. He removed the whole question of sin. He eternally settled it. Every single divine requirement is fully met. This is everything that Christ has done. And he has laid a solid foundation for each individual right now to build on. And he will give you and has given you the equipment to do so. But, you know, you know read it in Nehemiah, the fourth chapter, sixth verse. They were to build a wall. It was destroyed. All the types they came back to the city after 70 years of bondage in Babylon. They were the, some of the first ones that came back. You can see it in the book of Ezra, too, also. In those mysterious books of the Bible. <laughs> and you can see what happened. They were to build the walls. And while they were building the walls with the substance that was given to them already, they had a sword in one hand, ready to battle. What's the, what do we need the sword for the most against? flesh. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing. Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, when I don't want to fellowship with Christ and when I choose to be a little baby and sit down and sin in my own little will, the last thing I want to do is come and have fellowship. The last thing I want to do is commune with Christ with other believers because the, because the light in the flesh never appeals to the darkness of the flesh. Never. Never. Ever. One single time. But it separates the soul, self-conscious living, from the spirit, self-conscious living. Separates it. It's called the sword of the spirit in Ephesians 6, 17. What that precisely teaches is that's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes the things of Christ and shows it to believers. To who? Those whose wills are submitted to him. So that now they function experientially in the reality of their foundational position in Christ. And when you have a solid foundation, nothing can be moved, but God is in the business and he's doing it right here, right now, in all of us, and all those who will hear, in Hebrews chapter 12, <clears throat> verses 24 to 29, he is removing those things in us that can be shaken. That's whatever's not of Christ. So that the things that, don't, that can't be shaken remain. Those are the foundational truths. That's right. And God is going to try us to condemn us? 
No, listen, the flesh is already condemned. The old is gone. To know, don't know any man after the flesh, 2 Corinthians 5.16. Where do you think that starts? With myself? That's right. No, no man after the flesh, even though we knew Christ. Again, some of these songs, you know, that the kid, a new kid was born. Oh, I heard that and I was like appalled. The little baby Jesus. Yeah, okay. Are we to know him like that anymore? Know him no more after that, ever again. He's the risen God-man who's above everything. That's how we see him. Listen, he's, de he's dealt with so much for us. He's laid a foundation for every single believer. He is our foundation. That's Matthew 16, 18. And upon this foundation, this rock, I, Christ himself, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will build, will build, will edify and build up his church. He will do it. That's why we don't preach ourselves in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5. That is why there's only one foundation, and we need to be careful how we build on it, each of us individually, in 1 Corinthians 3, 10, and 11, because that will go right into the Bema seat, and thank God, that's for believers. It's not a judgment for sin. It's an evaluation and manifestation. And having dealt, done away with the flesh, having that done away with, and that that is of Christ is purified, and we'll be there clapping. And there might be godly sorrow, but it's never with regret in 2 Corinthians 7.10. And so thank God. But we have that solid foundation. We have... What? Settled peace right now with God. Do you know that? We have, through this whole world system, any peace here? Any peace in the world system? Nope. Any peace for an unbeliever? Nope. Any peace experientially for the Christian who lives in the flesh? Nope. How you doing without that? And think of what we fill in place of that to do away with it, to try and escape it. And can we? None of us can. None of us can. And none of us should, because we already are in Christ. We have settled peace in the presence of God's divine holiness and justice. We have it. We have that. What is the greatness of God's love? We see it. Do we see it? Seeing it means do we experience it? Do we experience the greatness of God's love? His judgment of sin that was dealt with in the person of his own dear son, absolutely dealt with. Their God, right there on the cross, in perfect grace to you and I, dealt with sin, crucified it, the old sin, right? That old man is dead. According to what? What was it according to? It was according to his infinite justice and holiness. He condemned it. He condemned it. Why? What did he do? which is something only that Christ could do. What did he do? What did he do? He alone went down to the depths. Do you know he, you and I, thank God, will never come to the end of the depths of what we could have been in our sins? He alone, think of this, and how should we choose to live today now that he is our life? Having gone down to the depths, God, it's so amazing. Of our ruin. Did you know he did that for each and every single individual? He went down to the depths of our ruin and all our sin. He could only measure it. You think you and I can? 
No, because on the cross was the Father and the Son alone. He alone, he alone could measure it. He alone judged it, and he put it away forever. What are we living in? What he put away forever? Oh, we living in him. He judged it and put it away forever from A to Z. That's why he said in Revelation 28, 11, and 17, he said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And as we wrap this up this morning, again, we want to get these truths out in such a much more in-depth way because then folks can have take their time and, and, and read these particular portions uh, that I believe that God would have us as much as we can to publish and put them out there for people, to put them in the hands of so many people. But the fact of the matter is, as we close this, he also, what did he do? He condemned where? On the cross, the evil root of sin. Did you hear that? Is there any good in, our, in the flesh that the Christian can function in? No, it's only evil. We need to know the distinction. We need to know the difference between sin and grace. We need to know it. And we need to have it dealt with us. And he does, God does deal with that in his love for us. But let me tell you, he will, and thank God that he does do that. He condemned on the cross the evil nature of sin, which is in our flesh, which is the carnal nature. What's the carnal nature? I don't care. I know it, but I'm not doing it. Wow. How'd you like to be around that for a, for a time? Isn't that a blast? How does one who's living right and one who's living like that have a proper relationship? That's why we need to pray for each other. And we, we do grow in grace. We do. Okay? But again, please remember, God is dealing with things in us, not that we don't know, but that we do know yeah. and refuse to do yeah. through pride. And pride is evil. And boy, we, we have the flesh in us in Romans 8 9, but we're not of it. Do you see? That's what God's teaching us. This is not who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. So he also dealt, he, where it says in Daniel 7 and verse 24, he made an end of sins, plural. Plural. Again, that's going back to all were dead in 2 Corinthians 5, right? Verse 14, all were dead. We thus judge. If one died, then all were dead, right? And then it says, then they which live. Does it say they all live? No, it says they which live. Those are the ones that have had their sins dealt with. Should not therefore anymore live unto themselves. Because if I don't live unto him in my experience, through my will submitted to him, where do I live? In sins. In sins. Sooner or later, hopefully in his love, we get tired in, in certain areas of the discipline spankings. <laughs> and again, we've taught that in terms of the three places where we grow, right? It's enforced humility, voluntary humility, and genuine humility. And remember, genuine humility is I'm, I'm not thinking too highly of myself in pride, or thinking too lowly of myself. Again, still in pride. I'm not thinking of myself at all because I'm crucified and Christ is my life in Colossians 3 and verse 4. That settles everything. That has settled everything. 
He paid. He made an end of sins. He paid for it. The entire question of sin was gone and, uh, you know, dealt with on the cross and finally finished and dealt with when Christ came. And, you know, that's the, do you remember why when, when Peter said, um, where are you going? I can't, can I follow you now? Remember when, and, and, and when Jesus was saying that to, to the apostle uh, Peter in John 13, 36, he said, where I'm going, you can't go now. Why? Because he had to deal first with the sin question. And that was just between him and the Father. But now would be the time when he would realize that Christ paid for his sins. Now we, he, we have that life. Now, he said, now we have it here. And thank God we have it. Because like we said, just as Abraham and Isaac were alone on, on the top of Mount Moriah, on that mountain in the land of Moriah, so were God and Christ alone amidst the depths and the solemn execution of what was being dealt with. And only he can measure it. Listen, he has. He's measured it all for us because we couldn't. We, can't, we could never measure the depth of our sin, but he did. He went down to the very depth. You know why it says in Deuteronomy 33 and 27, when you fall to the bottom and you think you're, bottom, you think you're at the bottom and it's over, he's underneath the bottom of your bottom. You know why? Because the bottom of our bottom is someplace we could have never gone because we can't judge the sin any more than we can judge properly what we have in Christ apart from submitting our will to him. But the fact is he went down to the depths. That's why he's underneath. He went underneath to bring us to the height, to the top, to the top. Us and Christ, of all people groups in this whole world. And what an amazing thing this is to understand. What an amazing thing. The only part that we had in the cross was that our sins were there. Jesus alone bore the full weight of their judgment. He did. Whenever we learn this truth, this blessed truth, and it's God's own word to us all. It's God's own word to us all. When we do, and when that's maintained in our self-conscious capacity, our soul, through the Spirit taking precedence over the soul through that word in Hebrews 4.12, by faith dependence, through the power of the Holy Spirit, what is our experience? Peace, joy, and victory. And you know what that does? Thank God. It takes the believer completely away from the self-life. Completely. What? What's in the self-life? I'm going to tell you. Doubts, fears, questions. And then he directs our eye to where his eye is. In Job 36, 7, it says he never removes his eye from the righteous. Where is God resting? Where does he call us to rest? And it's in his son. And when our eye is on him, in Hebrews 12, 2, we're looking away, looking away that from, listen, for Christians right now, at every moment of our life, we're going to look away from all that would distract us, from us learning and coming and hearing the truth that he is our leader. We don't, we're not left to lead ourselves. Thank God. None of us can in Hebrews 12, 2. He, he, our eyes are to gaze on him. In Hebrews 12, 2, who finished the work and has laid the foundation of divine 
eternal righteousness in each individual. Do you know that? What a foundation. A perfect right standing positionally in, in Christ before God. Perfect, finished, complete, divine and everlasting. And he now sits at the right hand of Christ, the majesty on high. And guess who he is? And this is what he's teaching us. That's why we read Colossians 1, 26 and 27. Right? What are we to be occupied with? What is our eye to be fixed on? The perfect definition of every true believer, their proper image in Christ. And with him, folks, with him, no matter where we are, every time we get together, we are to be occupied with him and him alone. That's what our, that's what our occupation is to be because he's our life. And anything outside of them, Anything is death. Amen? Thank God about who we are in Christ. What we have is so incredible. Right? It's so incredible. Thank you, Lord, for the teaching. Father, thank you for the word, the teaching this morning. Boy, we we are just scratching it once again. And Father, we just thank you and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.